Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number eight. Really can't believe we're already at eight and that we've done seven of these, but super exciting. And today we have another stellar product marketing on the show. I'm so excited. Before we dive in, though, I think I have to apologize to everyone. It's allergy season in New York, and I feel so stuffy. So if I sound weird, apologies. But if you live in New York, you know the struggles. Today, we're talking more about product marketing. Two episodes ago, we had Mark Huberon talking about sales content. And today, we're diving like a bit deeper. We're diving more around sales enablement, around product launches, and just how to have a successful product launch I don't know any salesperson and marketer who hasn't had an unsuccessful product launch. So we're going to talk about the good and bad and hopefully try to reduce the unsuccessful side. And I'm so excited. We really couldn't have brought on a better guest for this topic. Today, we're going to be talking with Jason Oakley, who is the founder of the Productive PMM. Jason was also previously product market leader at amazing SaaS companies like Clue and Chili Piper. I feel like those are two amazing brands that just have like awesome product releases. So Jason's going to have a lot of great nuggets of wisdom for you. But before we dive into talking about, you know, educational stuff, Jason, what you drinking? So I'm from a town just a couple hours outside of Toronto called Collingwood. They have a, a microbrewery here called Side Launch. And so they have a good, it's called the Any Day Light IPA. So it's an IPA, but it's less, a bit less alcohol in it. Anyway, it's good. Big IPA fan. But usually after like one or two, they knock me out pretty good. So, so this one's a little lighter. Love that. We had... Andrew on last week, Andrew Kaplan, he also had a local IPA. You should get everyone who goes on this to like send you what they're drinking, if they're drinking beer or something like that. I want to get sponsored so bad. Everyone bring a beer, send it to us, and then we'll promote the company. Well, I am actually drinking a cocktail today, not wine or beer. I finally did it, Ben. I finally got a cocktail. It, I did use pre-made cocktail mix, so I'm kind of cheating, but I'm doing a mojito. So today's episode might be a little off the rails. We'll see. <laughs> Proud of you for uh, upgrading to a cocktail. A little bit disappointed that you cheated with the uh, the pre-made mix. Maybe next time just just let that one slide. But eight episodes in, we finally got you to step it up. I also am drinking a cocktail. I have an old-fashioned, pretty common for me at this point. Cool. Well, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. And to kick it off, you know, Jason, what has your typical relationship with sales team been? Either, again, the goods and maybe the... The negatives. Um, I would say my relationship with sales, I would say any product marketer's relationship with sales is like often a, I would say a complicated one or like I've always had a, like a tight relationship with sales because it's been important. Every company I've been at has been a more mostly like sales driven company. You, know, you go to market revolves a lot around direct sales. Before I got into product marketing, I had spent time as an AE and then I spent time as a CSM. So I had I know, the empathy of more that revenue side of the organization. So when I started doing product marketing, I at least knew what they were looking for out of it and things that they cared about. And I think a lot of it for product marketing, it can be easy to to shy away from sales or to not really want to engage with them as much. Um, but I've always tried to lean into it as much as I could because yeah, it's important. So I would say, you know, I've always tried within a company to like very quickly find some of those top AEs or the ones who have a lot of influence and also try to have a good relationship with the leaders. Not to say that I, I don't have good relationships with others, but I definitely prioritize those ones. And so when you come into the, you know, for me, I've always been in the position where I was started as a single product marketer responsible for building out the function. It's important they have that credibility. Otherwise, you end up just being like the, you know, deck jockey or someone who's responsible for building out content. You know, when you were giving your answer there, Jason, I was thinking back to when I was pretty junior starting in sales, working at Square and worked with some of the best reps I've ever partnered with in my life at Square. And I think that approaching and working with salespeople from the outside coming in is hard. 
salespeople are sometimes like pretty standoffish. Sometimes there's some egos, especially if you're a very good AE. A lot of AEs like to just mind their own business and don't want to be bothered. They're there to crush their goals. They do it very well. They're like killers at what they do. Um, but sometimes as like a lowly SDR or a new higher BDR or something like that can be scary to walk up to the best AE. And I imagine, Jason, from your perspective, from across collaboration, that can equally be a little bit intimidating when you when you walk up to some of these reps. So salespeople, be more approachable. Um, I've definitely been in that in those shoes as well. I also find, you know, one of the things that is it was an important realization for me is that the loudest ones in the room are often the ones that have the most experience, right? Like, so they've been there the longest. They're either, you know, your top performing reps or they come from another company where they were, you know, crushing their quota and then they came in at like a senior AE position or something like that. And so a lot of times the ones that aren't really willing to work with you are like a small percentage. They might be some of the top performers, but there's like a whole 50% or more of the sales team that wants your help. They're the ones when you do say an enablement training with a sales team or, or you know, you, you provide enablement around a launch that you're just about to do. They're the ones who reach out and are like, oh, thank you. Like, this is really helpful. I think product marketers sometimes put too much emphasis on the one or two that might be difficult to work with or a little intimidating when there's so many others who are like willing to play ball with them. Also tip for marketers. I don't know that it's always the best idea or it's necessary. I mean, naturally you're sort of drawn to the best performers, but oftentimes, and it's frustrating for sales leaders, but oftentimes your best one or two performers are really, really good at sales because honestly, they just have a lot of the natural soft skills. They are good at things that are not scalable. So marketers might go up to your top performer and be like, what do you do? Do you use this asset? Are you doing this? And the sales rep's like, no, I, I don't do that. I don't use that. And it's kind of annoying and it's frustrating, but they are truly just really, really blessed with really good sales skills, have a lot of those soft skills. So oftentimes marketers go to the middle of the pack, find the middle of the pack. Those are probably the reps who are using the assets the most who need a little bit more help than maybe the top talented sales reps. And it's no different in sports. They always say that the best players in the world oftentimes don't make good coaches. It's the same thing with your top uh, AEs. They oftentimes aren't going to be the ones you want to talk to about processes because they're just kind of elite at what they do. It's a good point. I think where the top ones can really be helpful is, so say for example, we were working on new messaging focused on the CRO messaging on how do you sell flu to a CRO. And we were working on, it was a combination of you know a couple slides that you insert into the pitch deck plus messaging to go with it. And what we did is by working with one of the top AEs, we actually had him test out that messaging, right? So we had him, hey, you have a call tomorrow that's coming up where you could use this messaging. All right, great. We're going to work with you on, okay, let's get a, a slide together that you could use tomorrow. Let's get some messaging. Let's work together on it. And then you take his recording, you play that back for the rest of the sales team. And so you take the top rec to give credibility to the thing that you're trying to roll out to the rest of them. And I think that's where if you give, have a good relationship with some of those top reps, then that's where that can work really well. But I agree, like to your point, the training, the enablement, the content that you put together, sometimes top AEs are like, I, I'm covered. I don't need that. Or something like a battle card, for example, they might be like, I've got it. I've been doing this for five years. I know just as much as you do, that sort of thing. Whereas new AEs need that stuff. Jason, for the example of top reps, you know, asking them this use case for CROs. Did you ever do that for product launches? Because one of the things I was thinking about around this topic was how can you teach some sales reps and maybe have them teach other sales reps when there is a new product launch? Are they sometimes willing or adaptive, like maybe even using those top reps as beta testers, like yeah. giving them early access first so they can get other members of their team excited? Yeah, totally. Like luckily I've been at companies where sales, like selling into sales, 
giving our sales team early beta access to features before we release them that's really helpful like that you could dog food your own product and make sure that by the time you release it you've had a chance to beta test it internally for a long time i think that's huge we released a feature at clue that was a pretty big fundamental design change workflow change and so we needed to get everyone up to speed on how to demo that so we did a full cert like a certification on here's how to demo this. And you work with sales and CS to make sure that before you release that out to customers and, and everyone was up to speed on how to demo it. Because yeah, if you can't do that, what you end up with, and this happens all the time, is you release a feature, no one knows how to demo it. No one really knows how it works and boom, it's live in the app one day and everyone is like, oh. Hey. And so you get, a, you get a lot of situations where sales can lose credibility because they don't know what they're demoing. Mm-hmm. Probably seen that all the time. Yeah. That was one of, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but like tips to ensuring a successful product launch. And also I would say leading into the first question here, Natalie, that I know you were excited to discuss is some frustrating parts about product releases or feature updates specifically on the sales side. Kind of ties into Jason, what you were just saying. There's three things I had jotted down and, and one of them was just simply the not knowing piece. I think certain organizations are really, really good and transparent about sharing their product roadmap, whether that's internal or even at a company that I worked at with Front that had an external facing roadmap, which I thought was so cool. And so a lot of companies are really good about educating sales reps, letting them know what's coming down the pike. But honestly, some companies aren't. There isn't a lot of visibility or transparency into what features are coming, what products are coming. So that's number one. The other two that I had noted is Natalie knows this. Anytime something is broken or might be wrong, my initial reaction is always to first kind of look in the mirror and accept any sort of ownership that we can. And so I will challenge my sales reps a little bit. If you are frustrated that you don't feel like you understand a feature or you don't think your product knowledge is where it needs to be, it's pretty easy to point your finger at marketing and say, we don't have an asset. It's pretty easy to point your finger at product and say, they're not building what I need them to build. When instead you should be thinking, am I not dogfooding the product enough, Jason, like you said? Am I not spending the time to reading the blog posts or the product update emails that our team is sending out every two weeks, every month, something like that? So sales reps, first and foremost, I would challenge you. Are you taking advantage of the assets that I'm sure you have access to? And honestly, if you're selling something and you don't fully understand it, there is nobody else to blame but you. Lastly, what I will say, and this is something that I think marketers probably don't think about a lot and certainly probably product teams don't consider. Anytime there's a new product launch, especially a big one, Nine times out of 10, that means that quotas for AEs are going up. So sometimes it's acceptable. Sometimes reps are super stoked and they understand, hey, this new product means my quota is going to go up, but that's cool because I'm going to be able to clean house with this new product. But sometimes reps are like, "Mm, that's a nice to have, or that's a feature more for our existing customers and not for prospects. So this won't necessarily help me close more deals. But I know that my sales manager is going to make an excuse that my quota went up 20% because we're launching this brand new product even though it isn't really going to help me at all. So keep that in mind. Typically, a new product release means quotas are going to go up for reps, and that's why there's a little bit of a turnoff. That's an interesting point. Yeah, that's not something I think a lot of people think about. I would probably approach from the perspective of, great, you've got this new product. Your quota's not going up. You just got a new thing to be able to hit your quota faster. Good for you. (laughs) It's interesting to hear that's not the case all the time. In those cases there, like, is it just an empathy thing? Like, should product marketing just kind of understand that and, and come into it knowing that, okay, there's going to be some hesitancy here. Everyone's not going to be super thrilled about this. Or what can we do to, I guess, to approach that situation better? Uh, I would recommend going to bat for your sales team saying, hey, revenue leaders, CROs, heads of sales, I'm sure your wheels are already spinning and you're thinking now we can drop an excuse to increase quotas. Why don't we give it a quarter? 
Let's give our sales reps a quarter. Let's see if this does really help increase wins. Let's track it very closely. If it does, we know we can attribute a higher quota to this product. And if not, you know, it's probably a better route. So try to protect the sales team a little bit there if you can. Yeah, because you release a new product and you know, everyone thinks it's going to be the golden ticket to increasing revenue. And before it even gets out to market, they're placing all these new revenue targets on it. And I think more companies need to take a step back and like see what happens when you actually release it before you actually start setting you know, pipeline revenue targets for a new product. But that's easier said than done, I guess. We don't, that's, not a call, that's not a call I've made in companies. Jason, in your experience, when you rolled out a new product, did your uh, sales team ever offer any sort of incentive monetarily to sell that new product or upsell that specific product? I'm curious, because I definitely had that happen to me once at Square where we released the ability to basically transact with a new business type that we never had before. And Square was basically paying reps out at like one and a half percent if they sold that product because they were trying to push it. And right. boy, did we ever. It really worked. Yeah, I think I can't think of any specific ones, but I, I definitely know like, the, you know, putting spiffs in place or something where reps are incentivized to to really go hard on. You know, I've seen it with new products, but I, I've also seen it too, where you're trying to break into like a new market, for example, like you're going, you're trying to sell your product into a brand new industry. And so you'll put a small team together or you'll ask reps to carve out a certain percentage of time and maybe you'll pay them out. And like, you know, whether it's a spiff or whether it's like a certain percentage increase on their comp. I have seen that. And it's a cool way to approach launches too. Like, I think that's when you get into how can you really align with sales on a launch? It's funny because I have a little bit of an opposite response. And we're like, wow, that's a really great launch strategy. My fear is them like, oh, if we're going to incentivize reps for this new feature, it better hold up and they better know what they're selling. Because I think this really leads kind of what we were talking about of when the reps don't fully know the new product launch and maybe oversell. And in their defense, like if you're being spiffed on it, of course you're going to say it can do X, Y, and Z, even if maybe you don't know as well. Like, Ben, have you ever seen that happen where also the incentive maybe caused a little bit of overpromising and headaches on the CS side? I'm really glad you brought this up because I have an example of how to avoid this. So rather than offer a spiff incentive, like sell more of this and we'll pay you more, something that fronted for a few new features is they offered a little bit of quota relief if sales reps were able to find a prospect or two in their pipeline who are willing to alpha or beta a new product. So in this way, there isn't a lot of overselling Natalie or any concerns with rolling something out too soon. But obviously, product marketers and product in general are really excited to find companies who are willing to alpha or beta this product. So we had a couple of reps who said, yeah, I, you know, I have a company who would definitely be interested in this feature and is willing to work with us on the alpha and beta. And they received a little quota relief for that, which I think that's totally fair and makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I think to your point before about sharing the roadmap and talking internally about you know, upcoming feature releases, I think there's always this hesitation that product, I mean, the sales team is going to want to start selling things immediately. The second they get a hint of a new feature coming or a new product, they're going to be like, awesome. When can I start talking about that? And so you just get into this cycle where you're like, okay, well, we can't tell them about it until it's just about ready. But then when it's just about ready, there's all this internal pressure to launch things immediately when they're ready. So then reps have, you know, a week turnaround to learn about this new feature before it actually goes out to market. So I think there's some give and take that has to happen on both teams where product and product marketing are open to sharing things with sales before they're like fully ready to go and just know and have an understanding and set some guardrails so that sales knows if they're going to mention this on any call when it's applicable and, and suitable and not. And if you're not ready to sell, just don't sell it. You can know it's here, but it's not so that you can talk about it. And then it's also you know, up to product and product marketing to start to to let people know about these things earlier. So that, and my, my whole point that this is getting back to is that a lot of times companies aren't 
like they're not getting beta people in. They're not getting these alpha people in to test out a new feature, a new integration or whatever before it actually goes out. So reps, when they do go to market, they're going to market with no case studies, no proof that this thing actually works or delivers any value. They're really just going off of, you know, your messaging, which is, okay, here's the problem itself. Here's how it's going to deliver value to you, but there's no proof to back it up. And so it's really hard to sell something when you don't have that stuff. A lot of times, especially in startups and stuff, beta programs are just not enough customers. They're not done for long enough. And so it, it's more just to check a box and you're not really getting what you need out of the beta program. When people think product or feature launch, they think about it in terms of exclusively the product. You know what oftentimes gets overlooked? The processes, the billing, the beta, the alpha, what sort of assets are we going to uh, enable our sales reps with? How much time are we going to allow our sales reps to actually use this product so they fall in love with it, they understand the value of it? Product features and launches are always viewed through the lens of engineering, I need you to build this, and it's about this feature. And the process side of it is always just left out to dry. Yeah. I think, I think so much of that just comes from the fact that product never ships on time. And that's not a fault of anyone's, but it's just the reality of the way it is. Product takes longer to build and to ship than you think originally. And, and that's where another thing with sales, say what sales always takes a date and they take it to heart and they expect it on that day and they're never willing to budge and they're always pissed off when you don't hit it. And so what happens is, and this is why, you know, product, product marketing are again, another reason why they're hesitant to say any date and to share anything because things change and dates change and people need to be okay with that. If sales had a better understanding of that and was a bit more, you know, understanding there, then I think people would share things earlier and you could have these conversations a little bit earlier, right? And I, I don't, I guess another thing as well is that I don't think that everything needs to launch at once. Like, I think there's this, you know, this idea of, oh, launch day, and there's a million different things that need to go out on that same day. Emails need to go out, social posts need to go out. All this stuff needs to be done. But the reality is you can launch to customers very separately. You know, there was a release we did at Clue where, sales was able to start to sell it on new deals and we were able to turn that on for those new deals then there was a day when we flicked it on for existing customers and then there could have been a day in the future or there was a day in the future when we were going to announce that to the market and do like a broader marketing splash right so there's like phases you can do it in where not everything needs to happen on the same day and if you're like oh well we're not ready to turn this on for customers yet because it's such a big change to their workflow and there's gonna be all this trouble and support and stuff we need to figure out cool well, let's just turn it on for brand new customers like, why can't we sell it to brand new customers to turn on for them? They don't know any different. So there's like phases you can roll things out on. It doesn't need to be like every day, flick a switch and it's like everything's on. Okay, my rebuttal though to the, I have to go back to my rebuttal and protect my sales reps a little bit here with the timeline thing, because you're absolutely right, Jason. When we hear a timeline on the sales side, like that's like written in blood to us. Like that, that is what is ingrained in our head. However, in our defense, sales are the only departments, I swear, at companies that are held to a strict timeline. Like, imagine if I was like, hey, my quota for Q1 ends on, you know, March 31st or April 1st, whatever it is. And I was like, yeah, but let's just bump that to like April 16th. Like, you can't do that. But like marketers will drag their feet on a new website launch and product will drag their feet on a new product launch. But sales reps, it's like your quarter ends. Did you hit your goal? So like we are, we feel like we're held to a different standard or in another way, we, we feel like we should hold everybody else to the same standard that we are held to. That's just how we're wired. I, will be, I think that's fair. I want to say this in a way that it's not going to get me in trouble. But I think that a lot of times, the tough thing about like other departments outside of sales is that their priorities might shift where it's like, you're working on this one feature for now. And then 
oh shit, for some reason, you've got to drop that and work on this other one that needs to ship prior to that. So I think that with sales, obviously there's things that throw a deal off. There's, there's changes so that they can't hit timelines. And I don't know, maybe my, my argument there is falling apart. Cause yeah, there's a, there's a deal you might be working on. And for some reason that falls off the rails and people are going to tie you to the close date that you put on it. So I get your point, <laughs> but I do think that at the same time, it's, you know, I, if a, I don't, I don't know. I think the pressure that's put on a sales rep, for example, is not coming for product. It's not coming from marketing. It's coming from your leader. Whereas the pressure that's put on product and product marketing is coming from sales. <laughs> yeah, I was going to have a defense for marketing because yes, like I do agree, we're not held to as strict of timelines, but that's because we got 10 departments coming at us and be like, hey, can you make me a one page? Or hey, can you get some customer onboarding emails? Hey, can we do this? So we often have to reprioritize things and or like the website launch, entirely out of our control. Like there's so many different pieces. And I know sales, there's a lot of things out of your control too. But I'd argue for sales, like you don't have as many maybe external parties coming in. Like I don't feel like it's as much a random different department being like, hey, can you totally stop what you're prioritizing right now and do this thing? But especially if it's sales asking you, you kind of can't say no. But I do want to say, Ben, I do, I get, I get that that is one of the most like a challenging thing about sales. You know, I, I it's a challenging, potentially unfair thing about being in sales is that everyone else's timelines are not as strict as yours. So I think this was a really good five minute study into like in somewhat of a serious note of like the different pressures that different teams feel and that we should all be somewhat aware of them when we're working cross-functionally together, right? Like Natalie, what you just described is you might be getting pinged by the leadership team, the C-level team, and then you might be pinged like by the sales team or product team for all these different assets or marketing things that you need to create. And the product might be working on a new feature and then, oh my gosh, the app crashes and now we have a bunch of support tickets. And sales is just like, holy shit, I need to hit my quota or I'm going to get put on a pip and fired. Like everybody has different levels of stress. And so I think it's important to understand the stress that everybody is feeling and being a little bit more like in tune with that. Bring it back to the theme. Bring it back here. I think that's why so many product launches go so badly because product has this, they've been promising this launch for months. I've had past experiences where product launches have been delayed by like literally probably a year. And so at some point there's the pressure of like, I need to get something out, whether or not we did beta test enough, whether it's ready to be sold, we need to get something out. Marketing then has to put a shiny spin on this thing that might not be a fully launched product. And they're stressed because, oh my gosh, I have five other campaigns going on. And when is this campaign going to launch? I don't know. And on sales, suddenly it's like, I have to sell this thing. I just got this pip that told me this is the top priority. So I think all these different competing pressures are why product launches go so terribly because they're not so incentivized on the same thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think in those cases where you got a feature that's not fully, like I think a lot of times the emphasis is put on the external marketing and not the internal enablement work that needs to be done around a launch. And I think that you get to a point where you've got a feature and it's like half-baked and it's not ready to really start marketing it yet. You kind of feel that pressure too. I think most companies should be okay with saving it, maybe bundling it in with something later and having a better story to tell, you know, when you are marketing it to prospects in the broader market, but enabling sales with how to speak to it and how to sell it, at least tell a good story um, around it and, and being clear on what it can do at this point, what it can't do at this point and not overselling it, I think is really important. Yeah, I guess we've been pretty negative so far. So we'll love to kind of go a little bit on a happier note. Like, what are... Don't launch any products ever. <laughs> no, I think there's, like, I think there's a lot of, launch, like, launches go great. I think if someone watches this, hopefully what they take away from it is, like, things that can trip you up and things that can go wrong. And I think that 
the beauty of like having Ben here is that you're getting a good sense of what sales is thinking about during a launch and the, the questions they have and the stress that's on them. And, and if anything, it can help people come in, not just thinking about all of the typical marketing things that they're thinking about when it, they're going through their launch checklist. And I think more about some of those things that not a lot of people always consider, that's just going to help them and, you know, involve the sales team better. So I think this is good. Is there any internally, right? Like it's easy for us on this podcast to grieve our grievances and get to learn about other departments a little more. Like anything that you've done, Jason, maybe it's a little powwow before launch where you align on it, or is it just already having that good relationship with sales that you talked about at the beginning? No, I, th I think there's a, there's a few touch points you can have. It's not like, depending on the size of the launch, what priority it is. Um, if it's like a P1, then you might have, you'll have a full kind of launched committee together. You might have to do a full certification on how to demo this new product and everything around that um, versus something that's more of a tier two or three where like, let's go with something that might be, you know, more of a tier two, tier three type launch. And it, it's going to be something where you might have say a clue. We had a, an all hands every Friday and you could book yourself into that where you had 10 minutes to, to talk about something. Product would do it, right? They'd get in and they'd demo a new feature that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Or product market could come in to be like, hey, we're launching this next Tuesday. Here are the resources that we've created. Here's a quick demo on how this works. Here's some high-level messaging on how to talk about this. So that's one. You could have a, if we had a specific like enablement meeting that would happen every two weeks, you could pencil yourself into something like that or book something completely separate and be able to uh, to to again, have time in front of sales. We had sales and CS in on the same enablement meeting, which I think for another reason is really good because putting them in the same room when you're talking about a new feature allows them both to hear the same message so that CS can be clear on what sales is about to sell, which I think is helpful. And then I was a big fan of like just recording a video with Loom or with Cloud App or something like that and tossing it in Slack. So we would have our you know, enablement materials, whether it's a messaging doc or if it's on the day of a launch, having a resources for everyone to be able to post on social, dropping that into Slack, including a, a Loom video with it. And a lot of times like an asynchronous video like that is, is helpful and you can direct people back to it and, and all that. So those are like a more a couple of the tactical things that, that we did. Yeah. What are you guys what are you doing at Nevatic? Like what, what do you, like what's worked for you guys? Well, I have two examples and recommendations for getting salespeople involved and excited. The first one is salespeople are good at selling, right? That's what we do. Enable them to do that. So again, give, like if you are leading a product launch, go find a sales rep and make them feel really good. Give them some sort of ownership in the game, a little skin in the game and say like, you know, hey, Ben, we're launching this new product in two months. Curious like what your thoughts are or if you want to join our committee of this product launch. It's going to make the AE feel special. It's going to get them excited. They've got this little side project. They don't have to go make 50 outbound calls anymore. They can spend some of their, their free time on this product launch. And guess what else they're going to do? They're going to go into their little team huddles or their sales team uh, like weekly meeting and they're going to start selling it for you. They're going to go tell all their sales reps, hey, Jason, loot me into this new product launch in a month and a half. Guys, it's super cool. I know we do a lot of product launches, but like this one's awesome. Let me tell you why. And the reason they're going to be so enthusiastic about it is because they have that sense of ownership. So go create a couple of champions on the sales team and let them sell because they will. The second recommendation I have is don't be afraid to allow the sales team and the engineering team to converse, to hang out. Something we do here at Nevatic is whenever a new fairly large feature integration is rolled out, we'll bring in the engineer who literally built it or wrote it, however they like to uh, describe that, and have them demo it and talk to us about it. Here's what I literally built. 
Here's why I built it this way. Here's what it does. What questions do you have? That's been really, really helpful for us. It just kind of removes that, that, that bridge or that, that middleman, if you will, and just allow your sales reps to congratulate them on something that they built, fully understand what it does. And it's also a good way to develop cross-functional relationships with engineering and sales, which typically I feel like probably don't collaborate a ton. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I found some of our best enablement sessions where, where we brought in the PM, sometimes the engineer too, but someone from the product engineering side who would come in and be able to actually, they could show it off to the sales team. Um, and to your point, when it's a really cool new feature or product, it makes them feel great because sales, when they've something they've been waiting for for a long time, they're always thrilled when they see it. And so I do think that we've, I even found that happened a lot in our all hands company meetings product would demo something and just you'd see the the chat kind of light up and it's something where they get excited. They want to share things more. I think one thing we do really well is sharing customer learnings. I've talked about this on past podcasts, but we do a lot of beta testing, which is one thing I really appreciate. Like when we do big product launches, we have beta tested them and then we won't just report back the findings, but we'll record the clips of what customers directly had to say about it and then share it with the rest of the team. So one, again, engineers can see, get some feedback. But two, you also know if the customers, what they truly think. Like, I think sometimes you're worried if leadership came up with this product idea or if, you know, it's supposed to be a big sales tactic. Like, you're really getting right from the customer's mouth what they think. So I really appreciate that we share those learnings. And then post-launch, we still share those videos, clips, and make sure to shout out the engineer who built it. Because we're not just asking you to build random things. Like, here's the business value of what we've asked for. Totally. I Like, your point there about after launch, too. Like, when you launch the product it's not over. Reps are going to be perfecting that pitch and how they talk about that feature. You know, I clue shortly before I left there, we had made an acquisition, a little bit different than launching a product, but now you have a new thing that you are selling, right? So, you know, acquiring double check. One of the things that we did for us was, okay, well, we're going to run a full pitch contest. And so for the reps, like leading up to that, when we were going to make that announcement, it was all the reps had a chance to submit a pitch. We included CS in that too. And so everyone had a chance to submit a pitch going through, you know, telling that better together story. And then we had a contest. So there was, and it, we ended up going kind of like through a bracket. And then when they did the final pitch, everyone came in and watched. And so by the time you actually go through the pitch contest, you had a chance to see a number of different pitches and different ways, right? And people would kind of show their slide. And through that process, we were able to refine the message a little bit more. That's such a good idea. The, the pitch contest. I mean, what are salespeople inherently competitive? They want to win. So play to their strengths, like sing their songs. Like, you know, salespeople are competitive, come up with fun spiffs, competitions that will get those competitive juices flowing. Yeah. The good thing about that then is if you work with sales on it, it's not a matter of getting them to adopt it because they help build it. Yeah. I feel like that was exactly the positive end note that I was hoping for because <laughs> I realized we're, we're somehow, as always, it's always fly by. Maybe it's the alcohol. But before we wrap it up, Jason or Ben, any like final thoughts on product launches? I think the big thing that stuck out to me is this idea of working more closely with sales around launches so that everything's not a, the day it's ready to go, you are scrambling for a launch and it's more dropping things in sales laps, involve them earlier in the process, use them to perfect your messaging and to really make sure that you have a, a strong message that everyone's bought into and that everyone is ready to really sell a new feature when you, when you launch it. I think mine is going to kind of revert to the first one I made, which is sales reps take more ownership over product launches. Guess what, sales reps? The product launch isn't about you. And everybody at the company does not serve you. So don't 
wait for marketing to deliver the assets that you think you need. Don't wait for product to create that Loom video that you think you need. Be more proactive. Take a little bit more ownership around these product launches and it will make you better at your job. I like that. The other one that you had said this is the empathy. Have an understanding for the teams that you're enabling around a launch, product marketer. Take a second to think about how they're thinking about this. If there is a rep who is stressed because their quote is about to go up because this new product's being implemented or... Yeah, just trying to think, you know, put yourself in their shoes and understand what's important to them and how you can be more helpful to them during this launch because they're an important part. From a product launch perspective, sales, if it's a sales-like company or if you have a company with a sales motion, which pretty much everyone does, they are a huge important part in terms of how you get your message out there and how you're going to sell this product. So they need to be enabled. They need to know the value of your product and how to message it. So uh, yeah, make sure they have the things they need. Love that. I mean, the whole goal of this podcast is essentially have empathy for other departments as you hear us battle out different ideas, but that always ends positive. So this is awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Jason. I feel like I have so many fun ideas. Ben, let's do a pitch contest next product launch. I want to be part of it.